Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the pod. It's just me and Choose again, which is lovely. We're doing all these interviews. And then we have these little gaps where we get to stop and chat to each other and be in our TNT space and just kind of like riff a bit on what we're hearing and what we're learning and how it's impacting us or not. How it's bouncing off us, maybe, you know, because of the beliefs we hold. It's like, yeah, heard that, dismissed, you know. So we get to do a little bit of that. And so thanks for joining us, you know, and welcome back into the the realm of conversation and thought and heart that is uh, Tuesday and I's friendship. Good to have you with us. Yeah. So we have had podcasts with three pretty incredible humans, all of whom have been influential on the development of you and I choose as the kind of like leaders and people we are, but have also been really significant in their influence on the development of the field of kind of like large scale systemic change, just for lack of a, you know, big shit. (laughs) Okay. People who want to do big shit right? They don't just want to make a team better or an organization better. They want to tackle something at scale. These three people have been significantly influenced in the field of big change. So that's the scoop, right? We just kind of want to pull that apart a bit because all three of them bring very, very different things. And and when we originally planned this pod, we had this idea of like, hmm, Adam holds the strategic lens and Arowana holds the body work and Meg's work at the moment is all about the spirit and connection. And of course, what we found is it is not as simple as that. And you can't put these people into boxes. Damn them. I know. I know. I'm going to though. I'm totally going to. Let's do it. We'll box them up and uh, hand, up, hand them right back to our listeners. Here are these, here are these humans explained in uh, simple, <laughs> simple boxes uh, so we can all just feel more comfortable. What you got choose as you, as you, you know, that's my setup, mate. What's, what's good. I think that's, I I love it. And I just want to say, I loved these interviews and I keep, I keep having this experience this season where I'm like, oh my gosh, that was my favorite interview. Oh my gosh, that was my favorite interview. And so I have a lot of favorites and these three were my favorite. How about that? So I'm sure there'll be more favorites, but it is an interesting, even though it's certainly not appropriate or even reflective of their work to put these folks in those particular boxes. I think it is descriptive of maybe where they're entering right now as they articulate their work. Right. Right. And so Adam really does enter like being quite strategic and quite explicit. This is kind of, it's both strategic and tactical. Here's the strategy of what I'm doing. And then here are the ways to do it. Right. He's, he's just quite explicit in that way. And probably in a, in a way, I think his books may have been getting more and more explicit. Like if I think about the, the run of his books, solving tough problems all the way to, you know, facilitating breakthrough, right. They've all had this strategy quite, how do I make what I'm doing understandable? right? Like how do I break it down? How do I have people understand in their mind what they need to do? And yet he totally talks about spirit. You know, he totally talks about having people go on walks, for example. So he's bringing in the mind. And so it's not that simple as does Arawana, even though her entry is through the body, right? And I think that that's where her gift is. And, you know, she's certainly you know, being a Shambhala practitioner, being um, someone who's thinking about how to articulate what the body does in the world, right? She comes in through the body, but she definitely talks strategy as well as spirit. And of course, you know, Meg Wheatley, this uh, warrior song line feels like a very spiritual work and she's unapologetic about the spiritual nature of it, right? Which is quite amazing. And yet it is 
posed as a journey. You imagine yourself walking. There are sounds coming into your body as you, right? It's like, it's a whole, it's a, it's a multi-sensory experience that includes your body. And there's no way it is not about your strategy as a warrior in this world. And so like they all, like they come in different doors, but it's also interwoven um, with all three of them. Right. Right. I love this idea that, um, that the work of Adam, although it has, I mean, he, I think he actually started off an answer to one of our, our questions with, I'm not a spiritual person. Yeah. <laughs> and then went on to describe the completely unexplainable experience of flow. Right. <laughs> sure. You know, I'm with you in that like Adam's work appeals to the mind mm-hmm. and it's written in a way that appeals to the mind. And I think I said this on the pod and that's been really important for me to have someone out there that like makes sense to dominant kind of culture. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, that isn't saying it's unexplainable. Right. Right. It's a feeling. Mm-hmm. It's in your body. It's in the experience of being together. You know, you can read facilitating breakthrough as someone who's been in the game 20 odd years and be like, well, yeah, this is like beginners 101. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like who else has actually broken it down like that? Uh-huh. Absolutely. Who else has actually like taken the time to explain something that is actually incredibly intricate that, I mean, you and I struggle this with this in capacity building all the time. And like, how do you get people beyond the experience to the, because uh, sometimes we need even, we don't even know what we know. And especially because the outside is really trying to find its voice mm-hmm. in terms of being able to articulate what we do in such a way that the senior leaders in the institutions and organizations that we seem to be drawn towards get it. Absolutely. They don't have to have gone to a training. Mm-hmm. They can read one of our articles. They can, they can look at some of the visuals we develop and they can be like, yeah, you know, and I feel like Adam's really carved a path for us in that way. Absolutely. I've had my ups and downs in relationship to Adam and his work, because I think I've come from an angle that is far more creative. Mm. I've come from an angle that's far more embodied, that's far more drawn and written and experienced and versed. You know what I mean? Like that's been my angle in, but I really came off that pod, like just enormously grateful for the work he has done to forge a path for people like the outside to be able to turn up in the world Mm -hmm. and just be less weird. Right. Yeah. Be more explained. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I was like, yeah, that is the business, you know. And but then you also think about how Arowana has taken her embodiment work and partnered with a researcher from MIT, mm-hmm. who's a white man of German descent, and her as a woman of color, choosing to partner together and build something. That I think the last time they ran the U Lab, they had thirty-five thousand participants globally. Amazing. Amazing. All of these folks have done is bring something that was quite fringe into a mainstream consciousness. And you could say that with Meg. You can actually say that Meg started out that way. Yes. I mean, that book, Leadership in the New Science, right? I mean, that was a New York Times bestseller list book. Mm -hmm. And it was really a breakthrough in terms of an articulation of how the new science, systems thinking, chaos theory, all of this new science translates into how we lead in the world. If you haven't read that book, it's seminal, folks. Like, go out and read it. It's, it's, you know, even as a review of what you already know, it's it's just well written. And so they've all done this job, right? They've all done this job of bringing in things that might have been considered weird or hokey or kind of exterior to our real purpose. Mm -hmm. And they've just helped mainstream it. 
100%. And I think that that is where their mastery and artistry lies, right? Like that they were able to somehow break that barrier or membrane into the mainstream for some of these concepts. And I would, I just to, to reiterate, I think reading leadership in the new science would be helpful if folks haven't read it because it's so foundational to what we take for granted now. Right. That's a great way to put it. We take so much of these concepts for granted. And she was like on the front end of that, articulating that, being brave enough to say it. And also just worth saying a woman writer around leadership at a time when that wasn't happening. And in fact, is still, we're just still not seeing many leadership books by women writers. Of course, I mean, there's like Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. There's Don't Get, you know, like they're, they're all sorts now. Like you could point your finger to all sorts, but they're probably still outnumbered by men writing leadership books 20 to one. And so if you think about, she did this 25 or 30 years ago, it was just, it opened the door in so many ways, opened the doors to concepts, opened the doors to women writers, you know, began, I heard recently, I was listening to someone and they said, you know, when men write books that reflect on their personal experience, they're often called leadership books. When women write books that reflect on their personal experience, they're called (laughs) self-help. And so like, there's just, there's a, there's a line she's continued to hold open as a writer of leadership books, even this book. Oh yeah. Not book, sorry. Work, you know, a warrior song line is quite out of the norm for gendered wise, right? Who is writing warrior books right now, Mm. right? Not a bunch of women. So it's just interesting Mm. to kind of notice how she continues to push the line in that way. I love that. I love that. You know, if you, what's the common thread among in Meg's work like that, it's been that she's just always been ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's something also just just as we name that there's something about like who she is as a long-standing leadership writer and white woman mm-hmm. right that enables her to bring her you know this perspective on the depth of the leadership journey not the strategy of it into a realm where otherwise it may not turn up mm-hmm. you know where if it was brought by a writer of color it wouldn't be ta- it wouldn't be taken as seriously mm-hmm mm-hmm I think there's something even in that that is intriguing. Yeah, and worth saying that I think while issues of equity aren't at the center of her work, I have found her to be incredibly supportive of my and our work. So like, it's almost like it's, you know, she's not foregrounding that in her writing and maybe even her thinking. And yet she's still, you know, I can, I connected with her recently and she was more supportive than any other mentor, colleague, kind of master that I've ever been around, right? To me as a woman of color. Like, so it's like- And and immediate, and immediate in her support. So it didn't take a, you know, Mm -mm. yep, I'll help you do that. Exactly. And so it's just like, so that, so this is for me, like one of the things I, you know, I think is another conversation made for another day is like, how do we begin to acknowledge that action Mm. rather than their, what, how we say we want to see it, right? We want to see it in her writing, or we want to see it. But like my experience of her is that it's in her action, which is wholly different. And yeah, anyway. I don't think any of those three people in how they've articulated their work out into the public realm have centered equity. Yeah, that's true. But they have driven this type of work, this systemic perspective, this highly participatory approach. They've carved out a space for it in the mainstream of how big shit gets done. And so I think that's really interesting. And, and, and so then it just leaves me like two, two things it leaves me with. One is the kind of next generation leaders, who, whoever we are, whether we're Tim and Tuesday or who, whether we're listeners to this pod or whatever, there's almost a piece of like, 
I feel somewhat beholden to continue expanding that, continue expanding that influence into the mainstream. And I think the outsiders and organization has taken on that wholeheartedly, as have many others in the field. You know, we've come in in the wedge that was made by these thought leaders and have really begun to populate that with practice and experimentation. And there's some incredible pods coming up later in the season where we engage with practitioners and we engage with leaders who are actually doing this type of work on the ground, right? Like Colleen and Mahmoud, for example, or Carolyn Townsend or others, right? And so there's great pods coming where we move from this kind of like high-level mentorship view into those who are actually delivering the work. And those interviews are just as fascinating. But I think there's also a piece that we're beholden to of like building on what they've created yeah. and like it's time to center equity. Yeah. It is time to center equity in this type of work. And it's not just time because that is morally right. It is time because that is a strategic imperative. Mm-hmm. We actually just don't have the diversity of perspectives we need to solve the complexity of problems we're facing. Right. So even if you were to look at it, we've just been working across in Canada, across a region on looking at their entrepreneurship system. We've just put in a proposal to explore how equity could be more embedded into the birthing of corporations, of how can entrepreneurial organizations be born diverse was the question. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so there's something about this of like, well, what's the next generation of language? What's the next generation of being able to articulate an approach that pushes it to its next level? How are we articulating equity as a business opportunity? How are we articulating equity as a strategic imperative as we engage with change work? How does the lexicon of equity and the practice of equity just begin to feel like second nature? Common sense. Right. How could we do it any other way? Like the pod with Rob Strang, your, your comment on that was just like, he, didn't, he wasn't even thinking twice about an equity analysis. It was just in his lexicon of how he talked about the work. And so I think there's something in to stand on the shoulders, but also to leap ahead. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's for sure. And I think the Minnesota folks were the same, right? It was just so oh, public yeah. So public health has had to deal with issues of equity through COVID, right? In a way that they may not have had to in the past or may have chosen not to. And so I think they're, again, on the leading edge of, of doing some of this work. But I, and I would agree, I think that it is our responsibility to push it forward, just like the folks hopefully that we influence will push our thinking and our work forward. And I think equity is the place. And you began to see that in Adam's work, right? Mm. You began to see him move power, love, and add justice, right? Yeah, that's right. That was so interesting, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. And begin to talk about his own privilege in, in the books in ways that he just hadn't before. And so we even begin to see our mentors, they have their own learning edge that they're moving into right? Like I don't doubt none of these people are done learning. And I think that that felt so clear to me. Two things that came away from every interview is like how much their work has influenced mine and how much they're still pushing the edge of their own thinking in very different ways. But none of them were kind of like, oh, here's my body of work. Let me explain it to you. You know, go kind of do it. It was like, and here they were all still pushing themselves, which I think must be a characteristic of that kind of leadership or artistry, right? That you're still hungry. You're still like, not in a, I'm not enough way, but just in a like, no, I'm here to learn and do more and push more. Mm, 
I love that. And I think as folks listen to the pod, you'll hear that in all of the people we interview. So the Minnesota public health folks, they're coming on in the pod after we do this one, but you're going to hear in them a group of practitioners, you know, Tuesday's always already referenced, who are doing incredible work on the ground in the face of the murder of George Floyd in the community where they live in the face of a COVID pandemic that has been inequitable in its response in a fundamentally inequitable health system, you know? And so I just think that, I think you, you see that in all of the people who are kind of drawn into this work. There's no finish line. There's no point in which you say I'm done. I just kind of want to bring us back to something you said before, because I think there's something we're pulling out here, which is what to look for in a mentor. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. And I would be highly suspicious of a mentor who's trying to have you replicate their product? Have you learned their system and go deliver it for them? Or at least that's not the kind of mentor you and I have been attracted to or that has been attracted to us. Right. And I'd be suspicious of a system like that in a world which is so rapidly under change in contexts that are so, are so increasingly diverse. And so these leaders have turned up for us again and again and again. Like Meg used to turn up for free when we had Engage in the Netherlands and help us run programs. And, you know, Arowana was the first artist to really invite me as a poet to be part of an artist group, Mm, mm -hmm. you know, and perform with them, all of them, like in the prime of their performance careers, invited this like random little British poet to come and perform with them, you know? And so there's something about like, it's not just an ongoing curiosity, but an insistence that they're going to uplift others. Yeah. Like what to look for in a mentor. Well, I love this. I feel like we should write a blog post about it, right? So there's a, a willingness, a drive, a commitment to uplift others. There's an ongoing curiosity. I experience all three of these folks as there is an expectation of those they mentor that they will go do. I don't know how to say it. Like I've had moments of like all three of them, like looking at me and like, well, just go do that thing or, but or like, you know what I mean? There's, there's a, do you know what I mean? There's a little <laughs> yeah. bit of like, I, I want to say yeah. harshness on this, but it doesn't, it feels more like a, like a go baby bird, go do that thing. Yeah. 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 That feels, uh, you know, like a little push and, um, that feels true to me. And I also think there's a courage. We talked about all three of these people kind of breaking, breaking kind of breaking into new ground for the field. And so I think that there's a level of courage of like they're they are they are what's that is it a scottish the, the tall poppies get their heads right like they're they're willing to be tall poppies right like they're willing to say i have this idea and i'm going to put myself out for it so there's a level of courage and so if we think about mentors curiosity courage like commitment to helping those who are next kind of some pushing of those who are next like i just like what else would you say because i'm assuming some people tim at some point might think we're mentors so i'm like what do i want to cultivate what else would you say about them? Well, I was just, I mean, so Tolka, we, we've done the interview for Tolka, but he's actually going to be the final pod in the season. And so we're kind of bookending it with these mentors who've inf- influenced our lives. So the final pod is going to be Tolka, who's obviously been kind of a formative mentor for me since my kind of mid-20s when he picked me up. About the same time Meg picked me up, but he stayed with me, really very deeply stayed, traveled with me and came to, you know, and I just had a lovely chat with him yesterday, like an hour and a half. And and there's a few things I really noticed in the conversation. Hmm. He wasn't just interested in my work. He was interested in me and my kids and my family. And I found that with all of these people. They're not only interested in our work, they're interested in us. I think Tolka, like Meg, consistently has turned up to support and uplift our work. 
And many times he's been in very high paid work with me, as has Meg, you know what I mean? But also has just turned up for free when I asked. But then I think the other thing is at no point from the mentors who've tracked me through my life, have they ever told me that what I was doing was wrong? It was really interesting because it's more like they've just traveled with me as I've fucked up and as I've succeeded. But I don't remember Tolka ever being like, what the fuck are you doing, mate? He's like, okay, if that's what you're going to decide, let's, let's ride this one out and see how it works out. Let's go. I'm not going anywhere. And, you know, not, never been short of giving advice, but also willing to accept my decisions and then go with me and see where it takes us. And even yesterday, like I was talking to him about this research I'm doing, and he's immediately connecting me to two different people, like this uh, kind of like Laird up in Scotland he wants to connect me to, and then an academic based in Switzerland, Switzerland, who he's met over his years. And just that immediate willingness to like help and even think twice about it, you know? And so I think there's something about that, that willingness to travel with you. Does that resonate for you at all? Yes. And I would say that for me, that feels different from the people in my life who I've felt like want to be my teacher. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I've never really been attracted to folks who want to be my teacher, which is probably all about my personality, whatever. That's fine. Mm. People are seeking teachers, right? I've just never been that, you know, I'd rather just fall on my face and <laughs> figure it out myself. <laughs> so it makes, it makes complete sense to me. The two people we would choose to stay with too, would be the people who would kind of let us figure it out. Yeah. 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 Yeah help us pick it up after, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So there's a quality of friendship, not always peership, but friendship, I think that's yeah. really useful. That's right. And it's so weird to have like a friendship and a mentorship because the mentorship is not equal, Yeah, but the friendship is, and it always blew me away and used to sometimes confuse me when I was younger that they coexisted. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious, Tim, you know, we've talked about what they talked about and what they've done to the, for the field. But I'm curious what any of those interviews moved in you right now, if it shifted your thinking or shifted your practice or... Yeah, I mean, the fundamental feeling I get when I talk to mentors or elders like that is a feeling of not being alone. Mm. And I think often when we're doing this kind of work, it can actually feel quite lonely because there's not a lot of organizations out there like the outside. I mean, Rios is one, but Rios is really different than us. But it's out there, you know, and talking to Mahmoud and Colleen also was that I had that feeling of like, oh, wow, I have this feeling of like just being able to relax a little bit. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really good. And then the other feeling I get from all three of those people is like a feeling of being held and not even like deliberately or something, but or, there's something about my relationship to all three of them, which allows me to relax a little bit. And I like that. I mean, I think you and I by the nature of who we are and the leadership paths we've taken, you know, we hold a lot of people through their journeys, mm -hmm. organizationally, individually. As someone who's holding many others, it's nice to feel held. There's something relaxing about that to be, and no big drama, you know, not like, you know, and to realize that it's happened for a long time. Talking to Tolka yesterday, I was like, we were remembering when I first moved to Canada and it, you know, it was like a bit of a shit show. <laughs> and I just remember like being at the door of this like ramshackle broken down house we had moved, I'd moved my family into and after Katie had never seen it and all this kind of shit and just like fucking weeping on the doorstep as Tolka hold, held me. Aww. And then Katie and I had just had a huge Barney, had a huge fight and uh, 
weeping on the doorstep with him and him holding me and then him going upstairs to go chat to Kate. Mm -hmm. And I just had, you know, and there's these moments of like, oh yeah, that, you know, I don't expect Tolkien to be in my life 24 seven. Right. But I feel like any of those, and I think we do, you and I have turned to Adam for advice and support. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So it's just good to know that's out there. Mm -hmm. I feel less alone and I feel more held. And as a result, I feel I can relax more in the face of what we're trying to achieve or what we're seeking to overcome in our work and in the world. How about you? Yeah, I feel like I had really clear takeaways from each of them for like my own practice. With Arawana, it was, you know, I've in my own personal journey, so much is happening somatically that being with someone who's a body practitioner was or a practitioner from the body was really helpful. And so I find myself just being more willing to bring in not bringing in dance or anything like that, but even like the grounding exercises we did in the activating change. And it was like, well, these are the grounding exercises I do. You know, I brought in a, a really clear body exercise last week to the racial justice climate funders group, like just things I would never do that. I'm like, you know, like there's some permission giving some reminding, some remembering how good it is to be around someone who's in their body. And so trying to bring that, right. Like she's like the gold standard of like being in your body and moving from that place all the time. And you can even feel it over Zoom. Yeah, totally. So I just think it's given me like, if I think about like that, I mean, that was quite impactful for me. It's like decreased a level of anxiety about bringing that kind of thing. So that, that just like had immediate impact on my practice. And just really, of course, as we talk all the time, all this just rides right alongside our personal work. And then with Adam, for sure. I mean, like just really, really frankly, as we write this book proposal, this having someone who's bringing these complex ideas or feelings or senses into some kind of articulation is like, oh, it can be done, right? Like that can be done. We can do that. Exactly. And so it's just like, again, maybe all of this is like a little more courage, right? Like just a little more like I would write it this way and I will write my way to it. So I think that that's been great. You know, him as a, you know, often I think about, I think about Arawana as a dancer and as a creator of social presence in theater. And I think about Meg as such an amazing thinker and wayfinder for people. Yeah. Oh, I love that idea of her being a wayfinder. That's great. Yeah. And with Adam, I tend to think of him as like, he's an articulator, mm. right? So like, that's what he like brings for me. And then again, with Meg, I mean, just Meg again, I mean, like, I just, I felt blown away by both the concepts she brought, the way she provoked our longstanding thinking. Beliefs. Yeah, and just like- And she's like, yeah, I wrote that in deliberately. I know. <laughs> I was just like, oh, Basically. it totally, right? Yeah. Like she was totally yeah. just like poking the bear. And I was like, yeah. so like that, it was all, and you know, just like, so I just found, I found like complete inspiration. Totally. In what she'd written and the way she'd written it. I love that, Jews. And the fact that she'd written it with a friend you know, that she'd done it with a friend felt incredibly meaningful to me based on our work. Yeah. Right. That she moves more and more into partnership or she did in this. It's just, it was, I, I felt like kind of high for days after her interview. I just really like, there was something about it that like was a little unlocking. I mean, that's been my consistent experience with all the interviews in season three. Yeah. They're just like one of those things on the front of the old safes, you know, you turn the dial. Yeah. <laughs> click, click, click. <laughs> that's right. Click, click, click. Click each interview, you know. Uh-huh. That's right. Ooh, maybe we could have a safe. Do we have a new image every... I forget about the podcast. We do new images. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we should have a safe on this. And just a little unlocking. Unlocking the safe. That's right. I love it. Well, friend, I feel like, you know, I know we're about to wrap up, 
But I do feel like one of the things we haven't done this season is say much about the outside. And I feel like I just want to tell people that we've launched this activating change cohort. And I'm so delighted by it. I can I barely it. stand it. I can, I I'm just it. like, <laughs> you know? just love it. Just love it. It's so good. It's so good. I mean, the people in it are so exciting and so good. And I just like, it feels strange to me like this. I feel like this big thing is happening in our professional world, right? That like, I just want to like share with folks. Like we've launched this activating change cohort. The people are amazing. I feel, I feel invigorated and inspired by what they're doing and by being with them and by doing it together. Mm. It's really fun to do some capacity building together. Right. We've been so immersed in kind of like client partner driven change work within institutions, within regions and towns that uh, the opportunity to bring together folks from all over the world, from various different contexts and constituencies is just, I mean, it's wicked. Yeah. You know, and obviously I'm really enjoying how we're integrating so much of what's come out of the last couple of years into it, you know, mm -hmm. and of course that's in, that's in our latest thinking and the teachers we're giving, you know, which is really exciting. Like actually beginning to lay out some of the core principles we develop around, have developed around our work and, and then inviting people to kind of engage with them, but also bringing in kind of the iconography and the artistry that we've been working with and our capacity to facilitate these online spaces that allows for intimacy and also strategic thinking like it just feels like it's been this convergent point of so much of what we've been building and developing over the last couple of years so i'm just thoroughly enjoying it as that too you know it's like we're upgrading everything through offering a capacity building you know yeah. it's delicious so do you have a poem today so i wrote this at the alia institute which was a leadership institute you and i taught there um, meg taught there arowana was one of the resident artists there Adam, of course, has taught there, you know, uh, I certainly went as a student originally and then ended up on the faculty. And this was a year that I was there as a student and I'd written a poem about my experience. And then Arowana and others of the resident artists really kind of encouraged me to read it at this event. And it was the first time that I'd done a reading in any kind of public sphere. I was always just written for myself kind of thing. And some of the, I mean, it's funny reading it because a lot of the elements of this ended up in other poems as I went, as you kind of took it, but that, you know. Let's hear it. It's called, Are You Ready? Are you ready to let go of this 20,000-year eddy, which we know is just an undertow because we be tuning into the real flow here now. You can't compute the impact of the Alia Institute. It's like taking off the mute on the voice of life, stepping onto the edge of the knife, a slice of how humans might be. Can you see what we've done, what we have begun? This is the form that holds the storm. We feel the creature of learning, burning, invite the world in. It ain't no sin. She's turning at 40,000 miles an hour. That's a fact. That's power. The big bang rang, sang, echoing onto the mount. A blast from the past at last. Too much to count the years of evolution, the earth, the human. Suffering and compassion because we are booming. That's a fusion of chaos and confusion away from the illusion of wealth. Because our revolution is coming with stealth. Can you see what we've done? Can you see what we have begun? Do we dare to share the future of how humans might be? Do we dare to be free? Do I dare to be me, to be fully human, to love confusion and drop the illusion? Now we're booming. 
Do we dare to step into the places we most fear? Fuck career and become career. To find community true to me, take off the mute, bring on the institute. I'm not being cute. There's no parachute. We already jumped out the plane. Do we dare become sane again? This ain't about brain. It's about living the future now. Yes is the answer to how. Can you see what we've done? Can you see what we have begun? There you go. Perfect. Thank, so good. And what a nice, what a nice pull it back around, right? To like right. the first time you mentioned the Big Bang, which was, you know, the first article we wrote at the outside is a big, right? Like it just felt like there were just lots of things to pull in. Thanks for inviting that. Yeah. Wicked. Well, podcast listeners, keep tuning in because, uh, this radio station has got some <laughs> shit to got some shit to say. So we've had three episodes, uh, well, four including the Rob Strang, which we released uh, kind of like as a, a pre-season opener. And there's more to come. So we've done these three mentors. We're going to be tuning in to clients and collaborators that we've been delivering the work with, as well as colleagues of ours in different parts of the world. And then we'll be wrapping it up with Tolka Muller's Mental Session, which is another final podcast for you. So keep tuning in. It's juicy. That's right. Mm-hmm.